what happens the day after yesterday? My sister actually said it so succinctly over a bowl of strawberry shortcake Easter Sunday afternoon. She said, is that it? Like, everything's fine now? We flip a, sw a switch and we trust God. Is, th is this it? I listened to the entire weekend, she's told me, the movements of lament. If you were with us during four days with Jesus, this will now be familiar to you. Psalm 22 as our background, our soundtrack to the weekend. Psalm 22, Jesus' lament and our reality check. There are these four movements to the lament and they all matter. We start by turning our face towards God with a deep attachment. My God, my God, listen to me. My soul cries out, are you, are you hidden God? And then we complain with this blunt language. I'm scorned, I'm mocked, I'm despised, I'm surrounded by my enemies, I've, I'm poured out, my bones are out of joint. And then we ask God for help, only God can give. Teach my heart every lesson you want me to learn. Help me love what you love. Heal me of, of this. Bless me today. Remove the lies of others. Give me rest, God. And then finally, we trust. It's only a lament if we make this final turn, friends, a decision to trust. Otherwise, it's rather ordinary garden variety complaining. A turn towards trust, however, sounds like this but I trust your steadfast love, God. I, have, I, I sing to you, my Lord, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every day. My sister said, I listened to all of it. I know I'm supposed to believe and then trust. And then I wonder, I wonder, it, it, does it really happen this way? I mean, we wake up on Monday morning and everything is great. The implied and unspoken question is this. When I wake up on Monday and I'm not convinced about the trust part and I have more complaining and asking, what's wrong with me? It's such a great question. And to say it out loud, it's what we've been calling truth-telling this year. Truth-telling that leads to well-being and a more useful, thoughtful, mature faith. What happens the day after yesterday when the tomb is empty and the God of the universe overwhelms death with fresh life? I, and I can't quite make that last turn to trust, a place of trust. What does that mean? Does it help us to remember that no one stood around the, early, the tomb early that morning shouting, long live King Jesus. No one stood around shouting, our sins are forgiven. Evil is conquered. The most common response to resurrection stories is confusion and disbelief. In the Gospel of Matthew, those who crucified Jesus invent a story. When they find that the tomb is empty, they tell people that, hey, tell the disciples, make up the story that the disciples came and stole him in the middle of the night. It will solve this embarrassment. In the Gospel of Mark, the disciples run in terror and say, say nothing to anyone, they tell each other. They're afraid. In the Gospel of Luke, four women report to the men that Jesus is risen and they're accused of telling idle tales, which means lying. In the Gospel of John, while a weeping Mary meets a risen Jesus, Thomas refuses this story. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and I put my fingers in his sides, I will not believe. And Thomas spends an entire week refusing the glorious ending. Jesus is risen, risen indeed. Takes 25 years before someone 
says that the cross and the empty tomb are the gospel, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And it will take a few more decades before the author of Colossians widens the window on this story and imagines that the invisible God has been present in Jesus, reconciling all things, making peace by this blood shed on the cross. In fact, my sister's question, do we really flip a switch and, and, and we lay down our complaints and we turn to trust? This is a question we can ask of another lament psalm, Psalm 13. Last week, I suggested we memorize a lament psalm 13. Psalm 13 is the clearest, purest, shortest of all the laments, only six verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will, I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken, but I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Can you recognize now the four movements of the lament in this song? We'll make it even easier with some color differentiation. Notice the hard turn, however, between verse 4 and verse 5. But I trusted your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice, even though I just said, I have sorrow in my heart all day long. And, and my sister's question pops out again. Can we really turn on the trust like this? In fact, the poets and the literature specialists, the Old Testament scholars, they also pause over verse 5, and they ask the same thing. Who turned the lights on? What happened between verse 4 and verse 5 that the tone turned instantly? We don't have a context for this short poem, Psalm 13. We don't know if it's personal. It's a personal reflection, more like a journal entry. We don't know if it's liturgical for gathered worship in, in an assembly. Some scholars suggest that there must have been some kind of action off the scene, out of sight. The person praying the lament, they must have seen a flash of lightning or heard a rumbling movement of the divine, if not even a direct voice bellowing some kind of comfort and care. The wind must have blown or the weather, the weather shifted, nature sent a signal. Something out of sight must have triggered the pivot towards trust. I don't know. I, we can't know. But isn't it something? I appreciate the economy of Psalm 13. We don't need 31 verses to make the point. These six verses will do. We are simultaneously anxious, fearful, dying people who can't find God where we want God to be. And we are also beloved children of God with a salvation history and a future all at the same time. In our crying out, we, return, we retune our hearts. We retune them to what's really important. God is good, pain is real, and we long for a completion to God's redemption. It's important to know that these movements, they don't always happen in the, an order, this order of turn, complain, ask, trust. 
Once we enter into this rhythm, we may find ourselves in different stages of the movement, and that's okay. We, we thought we had the complaining out, but we woke up this morning and we were stuck in that space. Or we thought we could anchor ourselves today and trust, but we woke up struggling to even turn our faces towards God. There was a day decades ago I was grumbling out loud to God. It was specific and personal, and it was more than a whisper. We were the working poor, the working poor students in our family for a lot of years. We worked two and three jobs. One day, um, I heard my own voice out loud in the house. No one else was home, and I'm addressing God, which was not normal. I don't know how long we can do this, God. Like, I'm past my limit. Other people get miracles. (laughs) Where's my miracle? Like, I'm not asking for excess could we get enough to cover the bills and, and just relieve this anxiousness? I went on for a bit. I cannot confirm or deny the use of more colorful language. And then I walked to the mailbox. I opened the lid. I removed a stack of envelopes, walking back to the house in the late afternoon. Bills, 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 until the last envelope, this plain-colored, small-sized envelope. I opened it, and inside was a $100 bill with a sticky note. I couldn't even read the note. Standing in my driveway, eyes and face turned upwards and some tears accumulating, shaking my head. $100? $100 does not solve the situation, yet God had my attention that day. What is this timing? Now, church family, this is not some prosperity gospel parable. This is not a story to exploit your emotions. This is my lament. This is my personal journey. And I share it with you because it set me on a more serious course with God that day. And and I could sing with the psalmist. I will sing to the Lord because the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. By the way, the note on the inside was signed by someone who knew what it was to struggle as a student with a suggestion attached One day, maybe you two will pass this on to another student. The sticky note was not signed by the God of the universe, yet I certainly received it as though the God of the universe heard my pain and responded. Lament is this prayer that that leads to trust, but it's not a linear, flat, easy trail. One day we will wake up and the trust will come easy, and another day it will feel different. I encourage us, church family, don't go light on the trust. If you still have some sticky notes at home, if you got one of the experience boxes, the lament is not complete until we begin to name our trust in God and God's story. For as many ways as I can complain, I can challenge myself to name the ways in which I trust God. And I encourage you this morning, the platform where you're watching, we don't do this too well, but maybe today we will. If you're on the Facebook page, if you're on YouTube, if you're on the church platform, and if you can get to a keyboard, flood the comments section today with how are the ways, what are the ways we're trusting God? What what causes trust in you? When and how did you see God in the past? When and how do we sense God's presence today? And If you aren't here yet this morning in a space of trust, ask God to give you the trust you need to trust. On the Facebook campus this last week, they've had some conversation about our resistance to lament, to complain. It's been helpful dialogue. If you've not joined the Facebook campus, you can do that today even. Just go to the top of the 
to just go to the top of the Facebook page and to the group and, and click join. Someone will, will uh, welcome you into membership. It's great conversation during the week on these topics. What makes us think that lament is not a courageous act of trust? Orthodoxy places no controls on lament. The Bible is brimming with lament, and Jesus is our final example. So perhaps a church that learns to practice lament together, we have a ritual to offer the broken spaces in our world. Let's make sure every funeral, we not only encourage the blessed hope of the future, but we lament our present pain. Let's make sure every last relationship or every last job or every diagnosis or disease that we lament. Let's make sure when injustice harms humans, we lament. When we find a neighbor in Ward 7 of Riverside walking her two small dogs fall into her death on the sidewalk on Golden Street. Kei Chen Meng, 64 years old, victim of a crime on Silent Sabbath just one week ago during Holy Week. We lament. We lament for her. We, we lament for the neighborhood. We lament for the person who committed the crime. Yes, we do. We lament systems that fail to keep people, vulnerable people safe. And we lament our part too. Am I distant or disinterested? Am I opinionated or obnoxious? What would holy lament do in our neighborhood to stand on the sidewalk where an impromptu memorial is growing today down on Golden Street and to shout, my God, my God, why? Agony and adoration, pain and praise, because what's happening to us is also happening to God. What could our holy lament do for the neighborhood? Today, I want to offer you one fresh takeaway from me, for me from this particular Easter. When we talk about God saving us, when we talk about the work of the cross and the empty tomb, we primarily mean we want, we want and we are asking and hoping God is to fish us out of our humanity. We don't want to be saved in our humanity. We want to be fished out of it, one author says. Yet God is saving us in our humanity. When Jesus is resurrected, He's resurrected in the very spot he's crucified. Look again at John 19. They took the body of Jesus. They wrapped it with spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in that garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. From the very place of pain and suffering from Friday, God brings brand new life. We talk about the resurrection as proving the divinity of Jesus, but this year I find this to be much more about the humanity of God as anything. This is a God who has my attention in 2021. I like the way the Guatemalan poet Julia Escoville captures it when she says, we are on a marathon of hope. It's a marathon, and it continues into the earth made new. From the very end of our Bible, Revelation 21, we read that aloud at most every memorial service in here in the church, and then Anthony Leon or, or a substantial voice sings the same words. We saw a new heaven and a new earth, and we saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And then we heard a loud voice saying, the home of God is among mortals. God will be with them, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. 
and we turn the page to the very last page of our Bible story with God, and we read that final description of the earth made new from Revelation 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystals flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is this tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. By the time we get to this part, the last part of our Bible, the, the story, there's already been 1,000 years of peace and stillness on the earth, yet this is not enough to wipe away the tears. 1,000 years in the presence of God, and still there are tears. And there's this tree with leaves for the healing of the nation. How much pain is present in our history and in our lives that forever and ever we have a healing tree in our presence? This is God's future Jesus inaugurated on the cross and in an empty tomb. We stake our trust in God's reputation, certain that one day God will heal our planet, heal our bodies, our relationships, and our lives. You know, last month I had um, a little, well, a not so little basal cell carcinoma removed from my face. Three, four million of us a year have such a procedure. Mine had grown and multiplied during pandemic. I was waiting for a surgical appointment. So a few weeks ago, I'm grateful to my colleagues who did all the preaching and teaching and it was so beautiful and I went for my appointment. They removed this from my face and, and then the plastic surgeon, they moved me to the surgery suite and the plastic surgeon began suturing. I began countering, counting the sutures. I'm not sure why. So I can tell everyone, so I can judge how bad it was, so I can distract myself from the smells and the, you know, the sounds of the, the, the surgical suite. I, I don't know, but I lost count somewhere around 12 or 13. So I asked the surgeon, how many sutures so far? I lost count. He stopped for a moment. He made eye contact and with a dash of dismissiveness and a chuckle, he said, I, I wouldn't know. I just keep going. It will take as many sutures as it takes until I get it beautiful and right. God is in the process of healing us all and it will take what it takes for God to get it beautiful and right because God has been indescribably gracious in the past. We trust this is our future. Amen.